Hello and welcome to these audio recordings from Project Echo, Westwick PHN Hub, COVID-19 Pandemic Response Echo Network Series. Series 6, Session 5. It's Thursday the 19th of August 2021. Welcome back to the Echo Network. This session's titled Stepping Stones to 70%, Maintaining Momentum and Focusing Our Efforts. Well, architects, accountants, a sex worker and a pizza guy was one of the headlines describing our Melbourne brand of viral transmission activity last night. I think it sounds like the beginning of a joke. I'd like to hear what your thoughts are about the second part. But it's, um, while it does conjure up all sorts of imagery about what our public health units might be up to, one thing that does perhaps remind us is that this virus doesn't discriminate. And so with Melbourne lockdown extended and transmission appearing difficult to contain, in regional Victoria, we remain ever vigilant with that ring of steel only 75 k's up the road. Uh, from our major health services and centres. So how do we maintain outbreak vigilance and vaccine momentum at this time? Our primary care workforce is tired and there is a lot of extra work on the ground that's being expended due to Commonwealth eligibility criteria and navigating the state and federal systems. While we understand these criteria are driven by high-level concerns about operating in a resource-constrained environment, and we know that these criteria are there to ensure the most vulnerable um, and made vulnerable have equitable access to the vaccine, it's probably fair to say that the view from the front line of primary care is that people are tired and it's feeling kind of swampy for both patients and clinicians alike like as we puff through this next stage before supply ramps up. So how do we maintain momentum in primary care at this time? How do we maintain momentum in primary care at this time? What's driving us all in our respective roles? So who are you doing it for? When you're introducing yourself in the chat, I want to tell you to tell us all, you know, which patient population are you doing it for? I'm doing it for those kids in out-of-home care who I really want to see at school and seeing those schools uh, open and safely stay open. What's energising you at this time to keep up your vaccine efforts and your outbreak preparedness efforts? How can we all work together, not only to get maximal jabs in arms, but to also connect the dots between our most vulnerable and vaccine? And finally, how can we in regional Victoria make the most of our outbreak status and get the jump on the vaccine vaccination before things change and we face lockdown 7.0? So this morning, we'll be reflecting upon this question. If eligibility were to open up right up right now to everyone who wants a vaccine and it's safe to do so, who would you be most concerned about missing out? So let's kick off another session of All Teach, All Learn, Project Echo. And um, what have we got on the agenda today? So this morning, we're going to start with hearing uh, Rowena Cliffs, really a response to that stepping stones to 70, but pairing it with that, who which, you know, who who might we need to think about if it does, if eligibility were to open up, I don't, I'm just saying, speculating, who would she be most concerned about missing out and what are our priorities in primary care? Then Dr. Kate Graham is going to um, provide us with an update of health pathways. And Kate, if you don't mind, I know I'm probably jumping on this one, but what are our settings in primary care at this time and what do we need to be thinking about in terms of preparedness? If um, you don't mind just also referencing that in addition to those new health pathways. And then we're joined by Dr. Callum Maggs, infectious diseases clinician. He's the clinical lead of the Bowen um, Vixic Clinic up at the Alfred right now on the um, ID ward. We're going to be doing a sciencey section. So for someone, someone asked us for data, tools and graphs, we're bringing it to you for, with uh, some um, information about COVID-19 transmission case fatality rates. And we're going to do that uh, AZ risk to really get those second doses in before, um, you know, while we can. Well, we're um, joined by a pro uh, Associate Professor Rosemary Aldridge, um, who's going to give us a Grampians Public Health update and also talk about um, really that same question of who would you be most worried about missing out, Rosemary, if we were to, if eligibility were to 
open right up. Um, I've referenced the mobile and in-reach models because what's happening after you is uh, Emma Johns, General Manager, Dr. Jared Ingham and Leanne Potter, the clinical team um, leader of Springs Medical. We're joined by Springs Medical again. They were with us last year talking about telehealth and communication models of care. Um, I'm delighted to enjoy, have them back with us to talk about their community partnerships model of care is what I'm framing it as, but they've had this um, great partnerships model that they're going to talk to us about. Linda Govan will finish with the PHN um, update. All right, so let's um, move on straight over to you, Rowena Cliff. Good morning. Morning, Bianca, and morning, everyone, and thank you for coming today. And basically, thank you for everything you're doing. Who am I doing it for? I'm doing it for my partner's children who doing homeschooling was really tough, and we've, we know we've got a lot of mental health issues in our region. Um, but I'm also doing it for the other end of the spectrum, his elderly parents who... Um, there was a CFA text that went out this week around my neck of the woods and a lot of the CFA guys said, I'm not having it, nothing happening up this neck of the woods. So I'm really worried. I'm worried about that last 30%. Um, and I was in a meeting yesterday and in some ways the aged care staff, they've got till the 17th of September, but it's not motivating them to get vaccinated. So we've got a really stubborn tail, if that's what we want to call it. And I think we're going to have to rethink some of our some of our thinking for that group. Um, I was also really distressed almost about um, Northwest Sydney and the First Nations people. So I'm really passionate about how we support our ACHOs. Um, and I just think that um, I don't want us to lose sight of our COVID response as well. So testing, 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 and really just continuing to follow good um, public health measures. And I know Rosemary is really passionate about that. You know, we are having those conversations about when's the tipping point for when eligibility just goes and we just vaccinate. So I just know the Commonwealth is working that out and they're talking about that because we've got to make sure we've got the vaccines in place. We know Moderna's coming in through pharmacy. So that is on the horizon. The other thing that we really want to start to talk about is how do we make this business as usual? So how do we just make this part of your normal vaccine program? What are we going to do if we have to have booster shots? So we're all starting to have those conversations at the Commonwealth level because there are things in the future that we need to be really key on. And I just want to say one thing. We've introduced um, some employee assistant program opportunities for non-clinical staff in general practice because we know some people are doing it really tough. So if anyone in your practice needs EAP, just contact us and we can um, point you in the right direction because we've got to look after ourselves to look after others. So please just contact us if you need any support from us. Um, and that's it from me, Bianca. Thank you, Rowena. Over to you, Kate. Morning, everyone. So I think that um, that sort of leads nicely into the thought that we're all a bit COVID fatigued. And I think our population is COVID fatigued. And that's where a lot of the challenges are going to lie. So I think one of the sort of misconceptions, probably because there wasn't a lot of data around um, at the start of vaccination, was that when you're vaccinated, you're less likely to spread the infection. We know with Delta strain now, that the viral load, um, if you're vaccinated, you've got a lesser chance of actually contracting COVID. However, if you do contract COVID, your viral load in your mouth and nose is nearly equivalent to an unvaccinated person. So you are still able to spread it. So from a practice point of view and from a staff point of view, often once you're vaccinated, you get this sense of calm that 
you know, you're probably not going to die from COVID. However, what you need to then be thinking about and educating practice staff and keeping up with the infection control requirements is that your responsibility is also not to spread it. So just refreshing all the infection control requirements. The other thing to think about in terms of preparedness is, again, around that testing, around what would happen if there was an outbreak, around what would happen if there was a positive case in your practice. Um, one of the key things um, with Delta is the infection, uh, the incubation period is quite short. Um, you can then be infecting people in rural areas. Um, this is going to be a real challenge in terms of getting on top of outbreaks quickly. So what we can do about that is make sure that all the testing requirements um, are quick and easy to get to so that your practice has easy appointments for testing or are able to direct people to appropriate testing places that have appointments. Also then thinking about pathology specimens, how often you take, um, you have collection for those pathology specimens, what are the requirements after hours and on weekends um, so that those specimens get processed really quickly, the results come out really quickly. Um, because similar to the way that New South Wales um, infections come into, uh, have sort of caused the Melbourne outbreak, Melbourne and regional Victoria do not have a wall. We are connected. Even with lockdown, there is still so much essential services. Melbourne provides a lot of our essential healthcare services um, in tertiary level. The other things, moving on from that side of preparedness um, and the standard COVID health pathways that I wanted to let everyone know about is that by the end of today, we're going to have the pericarditis and myocarditis pathway up live. And so this pathway is about um, the management of a suspected case within practice. The information about screening, which patients should, shouldn't receive vaccinations, which patients need to see somebody first, that's all contained in the COVID vaccination procedure health pathway. But the new myocarditis is what should you do if you've got somebody who presents with symptoms suggestive of pericarditis or myocarditis? Um, and the other thing is thinking about those who can't access vaccinations easily and some of those challenges that we face. Um, in our, and I think we're going to have a lot more discussion with Springs Medical on this today, and they'll be able to provide some practical suggestions. But in the COVID vaccination procedure health pathway, we've got a section in the preparing um, section about mobile and outreach clinics. And it may be that you just need to do this for one person who can't access vaccination. The big vaccination clinics that we run aren't a one-size-fits-all. We know that medicine's not a one-size-fits-all, and I think that that's the reason that we need to be really um, sort of tailoring our response to who may be most vulnerable. So that's probably all for me. Great. Thanks, Kate. All right, we're going to quickly pop up a slide. It's a bit of a how we're doing. I don't know that things have changed much, but last week we talked about how um, that orange and blue slide's a little slim in the hips and Rosemary described that's the second dose AZ. So Callum's going to talk in a moment a bit about um, AZ and how we can really build confidence to get people to take those second doses in that uh, that that cohort. But what's happening now in now um, with our tally? We can see things are on the trend up, and what you'll notice in the primary care in the centre, the primary care weekly vaccines administered, is that now we're grouping primary care with pharmacy. So I'd like to welcome. Uh, we've got a few pharmacy colleagues joining us this morning. Krishna, introduce yourself in the chat. She's a. Uh, 
friendly community pharmacist. Let us know how long have you been and how long's pharmacy been now in the vaccination space? And um, we'd, you know, we'd love to kind of hear from you in the coming weeks how things are going. Um, but yeah, let us know in the chat what's been happening in pharmacy. So in terms of primary care vaccination rates, we've got GPs, CVCs are the... Um, uh, sorry, the Commonwealth Vaccination Facilities, the Atchers being the Aboriginal controlled uh, community health centres and now pharmacies joining us. So we'll see that uh, really ramp up. Um, so for data lovers, this is where you can go and we'll pop that in the um, in the email. I'm going to now hand over to you, Callum. This will be short and sweet. And the summary is in the title, really. Getting vaccinated when there's COVID around is uh, a no-brainer and that includes with AstraZeneca. Um, so, yeah, look, this... Um, these tables that look at, you know, your risk of mortality from TTS from AstraZeneca um, versus your risk of hospitalisation, um, ICU admission and death from um, COVID itself, it's a it's a moving beast. And it's actually, the, the graphs are probably converging now um, because the rates of mortality from TTS are decreasing with increased pharmacovigilance. And um, with Delta strain around being more contagious, um, you're more likely to get exposed and um, the number of deaths uh, will increase, even though the um, case fatality rate isn't necessarily increasing. Um, but just to plug some numbers in there, um, you know, your risk of, in the young age groups particularly, who are the people that we're thinking about, um, your risk of mortality from COVID if you contract it is, you know, one in three to 5,000. Um, and there are increasing case numbers uh, in this age group, as we all know, due to increased movement, um, and there's actually, interestingly, we're seeing a shift in um, the age groups admitted to hospital, not because it's more severe in younger age groups like the media is purporting, but um, actually more probably because they're just increasing numbers in uh, in that cohort and they're unvaccinated. So yeah, the case fatality rate. Could have popped the next slide, Bianca. Um, the case fatality or Gemma, the case fatality rate um, in Australia is uh, somewhere around 2.5 percent. Yeah, look, the, the R noughts are moving beasts as well. Um, numbers coming out of Sydney are somewhere between 1.3 and 1.8 um, due to changes in lockdown and, you know, increasing vaccination rates and things like that. So even though it doesn't get rid of transmissibility, um, vaccination does reduce transmission to a degree. Uh, but with a case fatality rate around 2.5%, if we plug that into uh, assuming um, everyone was to get exposed to covid uh, and we got an 80% vaccination rate, we'd still see somewhere between 80 and 100,000 deaths, um, which would put a real strain on the on the hospital system. So um, even with, you know, Pfizer, Moderna coming online um, for younger age groups, um, AZ's are really, you know, it really is a workhorse vaccine. And uh, if we're starting to get stock expiring, I think it's really important to um, have a, a good think about whether it's um, reasonable for a young person to have a dose of AstraZeneca. <clears throat> the other interesting thing is um, the data coming out of ComCoV, actually, which I think I might have mentioned last week, the UK study, um, the early data about neutralising antibody levels if you have a dose of AstraZeneca followed by a dose of Pfizer. So they're really high, sixfold higher than having a dose of um, either of the vaccines, one after the other. So theoretically, there's <clears throat> greater protection from that. We haven't seen the actual real-world effectiveness yet, but... If someone had a bad reaction to their first dose of AstraZeneca and had a follow-up Pfizer, they're very well protected. Um, so it, it's really important information to think about <clears throat> in terms of getting the, country, the whole country protected. Um, but anyway, I think stats are probably um, sort of less important. You know, 
anecdotal anecdotes coming out. You know, we're seeing cases in Melbourne now um, of of sick young people um, ending up in ICU requiring um, heavy duty immunosuppression like tocilizumab, um, and their risk if had they had a dose of AstraZeneca um, would have um, been very low for for TTS and. Um, even if they had TTS, they, their outcome would have been better than if they had COVID. Um, even if we vaccinated everyone in the country, every single person in the country with AstraZeneca, we would probably see about 30 deaths from TTS at most, um, which is just a completely different statistic to if everyone got COVID without having a vaccine. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, as you can see here, just like I mentioned before, the cases in the young age group are... Um, on the rise and, and mostly cases are in the younger age groups now. Um, and um, I'd probably be, my concern would be vaccinating this age group. This is the people that I'm doing it for, but um, I think also all those poor retirees that are stuck not being able to see their kids because all their kids are getting COVID. <laughs> so we could do it for them as well. Um, but yeah, you can see here that there's just the, the old data and this is probably from old original Wuhan and, um, alpha strain, I think the um, risk of um, fatality from COVID based on various um, diseases, but even there you can see no health condition, um, your risk of um, mortality is 0.9% um, across all age groups. So um, really important just to, um, to get people vaccinated and AstraZeneca's safe, that's the conclusion. All right, great. Some questions coming in. So slam in your questions. Um, we've got five minutes to um, ask Cal um, any questions you have about vaccine. Got a question. Are pharmacies vaccinating under 60s with AstraZeneca if they request it? So what are you guys using in pharmacy? Um, um, so we have an additional consent form um, with an information for under 60-year-olds. Um, and with advice from PDL, we've actually got an additional section for informed consent where we go through everything and then just initial it, um, patient and immunizer. And that gives our pharmacists a bit more, um, they feel more confident vaccinating from 18 to 60 years old. And we've gone through all the um, information that patients need and they're confident as well for us mm. to do. So we have been doing that over the last few days. Um, so guys, we're going to ask the question. I know we've talked about it at an echo. We've done, we've done um, some stuff about recognizing TTS, but would GPs recognise TT, especially in this younger cohort now? What, what's your what's your gauge of colleagues? So, would we recognise TTS, and would we do we know those management guidelines? Kate Graham, I don't know, are you in a position to come online? Did you want to highlight the guidelines and of um, recognition and management? Yeah. So again, similar to what I was mentioning just before with the um, myocarditis, pericarditis. Um, with the TTS guidance, we've got a lot about sort of the risk discussions and how to have that really sort of informed consent, um, particularly in light of increased community transmission risk. Uh, so that one is in the vaccination procedure health pathway, but we do have guidance that's been developed in collaboration with some of the ATAGI group um, just on TTS management and identification in general practice settings. So that takes you through what tests are recommended, what symptoms you need to look out for, all those kind of practical things. And it also provides for us the contacts um, if you have a suspected case. So that's really important, who to reach out to to get advice um, if you're not sure. Okay, great, thanks. 
Um, any other questions for Cal Mags? I'm going to give us a quick echo pause. I'm just wondering if we're seeing so many cases in school-age kids and younger people and people under 18 are not eligible for an AstraZeneca vaccine because there's no approval, is it reasonable to think we should be prioritising all our Pfizer doses for the 12 to 17-year-olds and only offering AstraZeneca to those who are 18 and over given that the risk of TTS is so low? Just a It's a great question and ouch, I would hate to be the politician that has to put that one forward, that we're going to give it to you and now we're going to take it away. I might hand over to you, Rosemary. I mean, it's a a good thought, but how would you actually now do that? I think that is actually a really good question. And um, if there were no human factors involved, then clearly yes, because we have a vulnerable population and a... Um, vaccination which is approved for them and we have uh, other population and who have an alternative vaccination available in plentiful numbers. However, because of all the reasons that Bianca has just described and sadly in Australia the um, sense of unease about AstraZeneca which still pervades all um, age groups of the community as we see, um, I doubt that that's going to actually come to pass and I am hopeful that in fact a supply, an increasing supply of mRNA doses may obviate the need to have that uncomfortable conversation. So that will be shortly, and I'm hoping that that will be the case. Can I just make a comment on that, that I am actually seeing quite a lot of people who are over 18, so who are eligible for AstraZeneca, who are uh, uh, Pfizer or AstraZeneca, who are actually wanting to get vaccinated as fast as possible. And their question is not so much, should I have AstraZeneca or Pfizer because of clotting risk, but which am I going to get vaccinated with faster? Do I wait to get a Pfizer, which has a shorter time frame, or do I get the AstraZeneca now? And that's, I guess, mm. the majority of the conversations I've been having with younger people about vaccination. And I wonder if we just said, just get AstraZeneca, I mean, which is what I guess I've been saying because the Pfizer is not available um, at the moment, but it's a weighing up that risk and whether we maybe need to give them some clearer messaging. I, I think I think needing clearer messaging is a fundamental theme to the whole vaccine rollout, and so I could only agree with that. And when we think of it, we can give up to you know give us AstraZeneca eight weeks, a Pfizer pushed out to six weeks, marginal marginal difference. But I still appreciate that uh, that's a concern. Absolutely, entirely hear that, and as you would appreciate, totally and absolutely beyond my control <laughs> to make any <laughs> advice about. So that's why I think we've got the technical um, and even potentially ethical questions here, and um, and everything else. Um, look, I think. Uh, if I might just comment, New South Wales is actually doing a massively good job in trying to increase their vaccination rates across all sectors of the population. And I think we need in Victoria to be looking to that because um, as we're seeing uh, in Australia, we've now got, I think, what four jurisdictions that are locked down because of Delta outbreaks, including Victoria. And I know that we mentioned the Ring of Steel. There is actually no Ring of Steel around Melbourne other than um, the risk of, spur- of being busted if you actually happen to be on a road and you're not meant to be. Um, I might come to that in a moment, though, if I may, and actually go back to the start and give you my update. Yeah. Well, can I I'll, Can I, Can I? I throw back yeah. to you in one second, Rosemary? Sure. Yes, that's correct. So we just set up our clinic, started vaccinating, and we're fully booked um, at our sites. So we're very excited to see that. Um, 
And I was very, very surprised to see a lot of that was 70 plus population who have been asked by their GPs to get vaccinated, who had a lot of hesitancy. Um, so it was really good to be in a position to be able to break those barriers, get rid of that negativity, inform them correctly and just get them vaccinated. Great. Thank you. Did you have anything you wanted to reflect? Um, I've just been impressed with the number of young people who've really been queuing up and couldn't wait to sort of get it happening. So uh, you know, we're, uh, I'm not totally fully booked, but then again, people are only just getting to know that we are actually doing it. So uh, it's just encouraging that they're, they're, um, they're keen to, to get out there and, and make it happen. So, um, and we've only just been going just as I say, since this last week. So it's early days. So early we've, days. We've, we've got a bit so- to travel. Yeah, great. No worries. So we've got uh, GPs that go really all the way out the west, um, you know, out the way out to the border and up to Horsham. Uh, how would a GP clinic, uh, if they're promoting vaccine and maybe they're fully booked, how will they identify which pharmacies are offering? They can just go on straight through uh, Find a Pharmacy, uh, Google Find a Pharmacy, and then that can take them to a website and they can click on the pharmacies around and that'll actually show which ones are actually vaccinating and which ones aren't. Okay. And are you up on the elig- the national eligibility checker? So when someone goes through the eligibility checker, a pharmacy is now being listed as an option? Uh, Krishna might be able to help me with that, but I don't think mine is at this particular point of time, but it's yeah. meant to happen. Okay. Yep. So pharmacies are being technically listed. It's about just getting those processes updated. Oh. Okay. Yeah. All right. So probably best to go to that, um, Google it, just vaccines, find a pharmacy. Find a pharmacy. Okay. Yeah. Great. Thanks. All right. Cheers. So that concludes the panel presentation for this session. We'll bring you any other snippets that we can, but come along and join the discussion next week. Um, Over to you, Linda. Uh, Thanks, Bianca. Morning, everybody. Uh, Just a really quick update today. Just in regards to Pfizer, we've just been um, advised earlier this week that there's about 70 practices that will come on board in four four weeks or four weekly rolling a rolling tranche of four weeks sorry um so by the 4th of october we'll have another 70 practices so that'll make 120 practices in our region that will be able to um administer pfizer so that's great um and the if there's any practices left over who still want to get on board they can so it's an open eoi um we've heard from pharmacy today and that's great and we're just really keen to keep engaging with pharmacy and sharing our resources um and experience and so Welcome to the fold, everybody. Um, in regards to the RACF state, we've got some data from yesterday. It's, it's the most recent data from the MyAge Care portal. So what we know from the 67 RACs in our region, pri- private and public, that have reported so far, um, staff who, who have received the first dose is 77.5%. Um, the state average is 73.5%, so we're a little bit ahead in our region, which is great, and staff who are fully vaccinated are at 58.5% versus um, the state average 52.5%. we have got ISOS in our region um, in this week in Geelong. I think they're wrapping up their hub and they've been doing in-reach across the Bow and Southwest region. In the Grampians, they're setting up their hub next Tuesday in Ballarat at Bupa. And they'll be here in, uh, in the Grampians region until the 2nd of September. So online appointments for staff in Ballarat and they'll be doing in-reach across the rest of the Grampians. So that's just another avenue for staff to get vaccinated. PPE, same um, order online. Um, we've got our form there, so we've got plenty in stock, so that's good. And as has been mentioned a couple of times today, just to, to reiterate, we have got some funding to support staff to access EAP. If they don't have any other options, there are a couple of options there that we've got for um 
GPs and practice nurses, um, but encourage any of your staff if you feel that they um, need some support to reach out. And um, we've got the yeah numbers there. We might put that in the chat as well, I think. Um, yeah, that's it. And any questions, use our COVID inquiry email. Thanks. Which we'll whack in the chat. And I've just re-linked um, the Survey Monkey. So, guys, before you leave today, if you want to talk to us, jump on the Survey Monkey and just let us know what you want to hear more of in the coming weeks and for these sessions. So I've got the written down all Jared's tips, but um, these sessions really begin with you. Shoot me a vignette. Tell me about a particular client that um, was, was interesting that we could build a session around. Um, we build them from the ground up rather than the top down. So do keep in touch and, um, you know, just even email. Me. I'm going to give you my email address and you know some of you have got my phone number I'll chuck it in there too we're all community we're all crew there's my email westwickphn.com.au and is it com or all guys have I got that right um but just text me give me a vignette it's so easy um and we can um, bring you on and build a session and make sure we've got all the right people to answer your questions. Um, thanks everyone like me Lee says um you know use Callum's phrase Getting, getting the COVID vaccine while there's COVID around is a no-brainer. Just do it. So, <laughs> And, uh, and uh, let's keep, uh, you know, thinking about how we can help with uh, workforce stuff because I think um, looking after our crew is the most important thing, isn't it, because you're looking after the community. Um, so keep doing what you're doing. And um, thanks, everyone. Uh, good to see you. Take care out there and uh, let's um, maintain our vigilance. All right. See you. This series was brought to you by the West Vic PHN. I'm Bianca Forrester and I'm the GP facilitator for this series. I'd like to acknowledge the work of Gemma Misbach, Natalie Love, Fiona Quigley, Matt Dixon and Kate Graham for their work in coordination, support and contribution to this series. These audio catch-ups are produced by Gemma Misbach, myself and Jade Buller. Come along and join the discussions on Thursday mornings at 7.30am via Zoom. You can register on the West Vic PHN website by looking up Project Echo COVID-19. All sessions are RACGP and ACRAM accredited as a time-based activity and CPD certificates are available for non-GP participants. Thanks for listening and join us again next time.